Glory to Jesus Christ, and welcome to uh, the 15th episode of Encountering the Trinity. I am your host, Steve Nichols, and joining me today, as always, is Father Phil. Father Phil, it is a beautiful day. Uh, the sun is out here in Rockford, Michigan. The air is cool and crisp. Autumn is in the air. And uh, so I, I'm doing well. How about you? <laughs> yeah, same same ditto here, Steve, in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, it's great we have this miracle of technology to be able to connect us and to um, connect to people all over the world. Thank you, God. Yes, yes, amen. Um, well, for our listeners, uh, we do have a website. We can be found at EncounteringTheTrinity.com. And from there, you can find links to contact, contact us via, via email. Uh, we also have a Twitter page, Most Holy Trinity. And you can also find us on Facebook so um, and iTunes as well. In fact, hopefully that's how you're listening to us right now. Um, and if you don't mind uh, with iTunes, if you would, wouldn't mind leaving us a review, because that actually um, helps us gain a little bit more exposure uh, for the podcast and for the, the message uh, that Father Phil is trying to uh, get out there. Um, and we we've, both, Father Phil and I, feel it's of the utmost importance and um, very beneficial uh, to all those that listen uh, for the glory of God. And uh, Father Phil, um, I'm going to stop babbling now for a minute, if you don't mind starting us out with a prayer. Always the only way to start, isn't it, really? Amen. Yep, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may it please you that all that we say and do, as your great St. Paul says, whether we eat or drink, or wake or sleep, that we do all for the praise and glory of your name. Help us to always uh, have that inspiration to begin and end all we do with thanksgiving for you, and to receive the light and grace of your Holy Spirit to see that all that you give us is a gift, and that even our uh, sins and mistakes are enfolded in your which is continually draw us closer to you and to heal us of the missteps we take, which is every step without the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us the gifts we need for this podcast and open the ears and hearts of our listeners so that the meaning you intend from these broadcasts for them may be communicated unto their transformation and glory. Okay. Amen. Well, uh, yeah, we, we broke up just a little bit there at the end of the prayer, but um, I, I, are you still with me here, Father Phil? Yeah. Okay. Sure awesome. <laughs> well, well, uh, speaking of that technology, it's uh, as much of a blessing as it can be. It can also be a, a curse, but uh, um, we, we will uh, choose to look at the goodness of uh, and the gift that it is. Um, Father Phil, last time we left off um, speaking about the mystery of baptism and how it incorporates someone into the into the life of Christ, and... Um, I, uh, I, there, to be completely honest, before I became Catholic, I really had no, um, no idea of what confirmation was. And in fact, it really wasn't even in my vocabulary because of being a low church evangelical. Um, 
and in even when I would speak to uh, Catholic friends or uh, high church Protestant friends, um, I, all I got out of it was that it was uh, someone kind of standing up before their congregation and saying, well, uh, I love Jesus and I'm going to live my life for him. And, and, you know, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing for someone to do, especially if they uh, are, are truly doing it, uh, you know, and meaning what they say. Um, but now that I've, uh, um, well, I, I guess now that I've um, been confirmed, I, I'll never forget that night. Um, the night that I uh, came into full communion with the church, and for me, that it was such a mysterious night because I was entering into something that I was just beginning to try and even grasp what confirmation was. And yet, when I experienced it, and 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 in this, in my case, it was the priest. He was given permission by the bishop um, because of the circumstances. Um, I, I just there there was a transformation there. Something happened. And to me, it still remains very mysterious, but um, uh, I know that it is a great gift. And I was wondering if you might um, enlighten me and our listeners and listeners a little as to um, what it means for us, uh, confirmation and our life in Christ. Sure. Uh, as usual, you're not going to get the normal um, one size fits all out of the box canned uh, linear version <laughs> of what a sacrament is and what confirmation is, uh, because that way of talking about the sacraments, even as the Baltimore Catechism does it, repre- as true as those descriptions are, they represent a decayed version of how the early church experienced this mystery known as chrismation, still known that way in the Eastern Catholic churches and in the Orthodox Church, and as you know, and as probably our listeners know, um, all three of those mysteries, baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation, which bundled, uh, comprised the sacraments of initiation into Christ, which is our theme, these mysterious entree portals into the life of Christ and therefore into the life of the Trinity, um, they, are, um, they were always given together in the early church, almost in a sense as a reflection of the Trinitarian life that they both bequeathed and uh, drew us up into. So, um, as always, I'm going to give a Trinitarian and patristic uh, depth and uh, tone to what we have to say today, Steve, about uh, confirmation. I think before we do that, though, let me take a step back and say that I also remember my confirmation very vividly and that of um, that of uh, people close to me where I've been a sponsor or uh, or been a family member who's been confirmed. And yes, I think uh, there is, uh, at least among devout Catholics, a dimly held sense that something important is taking place here, even if. Uh, those who feel that are not able always to put it into words or to describe it very, uh, very well. Sadly, for most Catholics, even some some practicing Catholics, which are, as you know, the mi- minority anymore of Catholics, of baptized Catholics, um, it's basically uh, a, a social affair, as is baptism for the most part, and First Communion, all about the First Communion dress, <laughs> all, all about uh, the party sure. <laughs> after the confirmation. And for most co- confirmandes, as they're called, uh, it usually represents a graduation ceremony from the practice of the Catholic faith. 
Yeah, that's unfortunate, but true, yeah. Uh, very unfortunate. It is a rite of passage, but not the rite of passage that the church intends. It's a passage out of life instead of into life, sadly, for so many so many people who are confirmed and so many people who are their parents and sponsors. It's just, again, it's another symptom of the fruit still dying on the vine until this Trinitarian vision that we keep promoting here and embracing the Trinity.com um, it, you know, really begins in full swing, which I don't expect, Steve, to happen for another 100 or 150 years yet. So you and I are still on the spear tip here of what John Paul <laughs> II called the new evangelization. Uh, just as George Weigel said, it'll take 200 years for the theology of the body to be acknowledged for what it is. Uh, similarly, the Trinitarian vision that undergirds it probably will be another 100 years beyond that. So maybe I should say 250 years before the vision of Vatican II, the vision of the early church, and the vision of God's embra uh, embracing the Trinity, encountering the Trinity, becomes um, be comes into its own again uh, from the early church and, and revives it. So having said that as a prelude, let me uh, make a, a, a reference for our listeners and perhaps for you as well, Steve. I don't think I've ever sent you this article. The greatest, one of the greatest Catholic liturgists uh, prior and post-Vatican II um, was a Benedictine priest named Aidan Kavanaugh, with a K, K-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H, Aidan Kavanaugh, O-S-B, Benedictine monk, uh, though Father Kavanaugh, a good friend of mine, not a good friend, but a friend of mine and a teacher of mine, um, he, uh, he, he, he certainly had a taste for the finer things in life, even though he was a monk. <laughs> and he he was a convert himself to Catholicism um, through the early church and was one of the foremost liturgists of the in the world, really, uh, just the side of a great uh, Catholic liturgist named Robert Taft. And both of these men have written extensively on the mysteries of initiation. And Father Kavanaugh's book on baptism and confirmation is continues to be a, um, a landmark study. Uh, but Father Kavanaugh authored a fictional account one time uh, following from the mystagogical catechesis of Cyril of Alexandria and Theodore of Mopsuesta, all of these uh, catechetical sermons given by bishops to their neophytes who had just been confirmed and Eucharisticized and baptized at the Easter Vigil. Bishops from all over the ancient world, from Milan to uh, Constantinople to uh, Alexandria, gave a series of uh, instructions to their newly confirmed about the meaning of the sacraments that they had just received. And um, uh, Father Kavanaugh has written a fictionalized version of what a, um, what a new Christian would have experienced at the Easter Vigil and how it would have been explained to him by his bishop. It's, it's in a little article, that little essay that Father Kavanaugh wrote called A Rite of Passage, R-I-T-E, A Rite of Passage. And one can uh, go on Google and type, type in Aidan Kavanaugh, A Rite of Passage, and you will get a most mellifluous four-page fictional but historically accurate version 
of what a new neophyte went through like you did, Steve, when you were brought into the church. But with all the mystery and depth and uh, spiritual profundity that the early church both celebrated these mysteries with and understood those mysteries to being to to con to to having conveyed. So I can't I, I can't recommend you know all of what I'm going to say can be grasped even more powerfully I believe in reading Father Kavanaugh's little fictional uh, narrative of a rite of passage. It is just so profound. I want to encourage our listeners to look it up on Google and get into it. And uh, again, there's no way to put it in a nutshell, but um, you know, let me just say that the early church, you know, always saw all of the sacraments as the um, life of Christ. You know, the baptism, our baptism is a participation. All of our all of our sacraments are different um, assimilations of us into the person of Jesus Christ, but under different aspects of his mystery. And so in baptism, we are brought into, you know, his sonship with the Father. And in the Eucharist, we are brought into participation with and unity with um, his identity as the only word of God and the word made flesh. And in chrismation, we are brought into and given a share, we are assimilated into and given all the um, power of his relationship with his Holy Spirit. And similarly with the other sacraments on the other side of those three. So we have really in the church, um, we have three sets of sacraments, the sacraments of initiation, baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation, all of which insert us into Christ and initiate us, as it were. They format us for the living of the Christ life and really format us to be an extension of the life of Jesus in this world of darkness and of Satan. And then the other two sets of sacraments are the sacraments of healing, which are uh, the anointing of the sick, of course, and the sacrament of confession or reconciliation, the sacraments of healing. And those are a participation in the saving mission of Jesus, which we know from the fathers is a mission of salve. It's a mission of healing. It's not primarily a mission of forgiveness. The Western doctrine of atonement, where Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sins, is always seen by the early church fathers and especially by the Eastern Greek fathers as a subset and a byproduct of Jesus' larger mission, which was to reconcile or restore fallen humanity as an entire community, as a single constitute, and to heal the breach and the breakage of communion that humanity suffered in the fall with the persons of the Trinity. And as a function of this healing mission of Jesus. Salvation, you know, comes from the Latin word salve, and salve means we get our English word salve, to, to, to put a healing balm on the wounds of humanity and to heal those broken loose ends that 
accrued to us as a result of the fall and the breakage of communion in the original sin of Adam and Eve. The mission of Christ was the restoration of fallen humanity with the communion of the Trinity. And, and our forgiveness of sins in reconciliation and anointing of the sick are extensions of the redemptive mission of Jesus, which is primarily healing and as a function of that, also a mission of forgiveness. And then finally, the two sacraments of service, constituting the third set of sacraments, the sacraments of service, marriage and holy orders. You know, very few people, Steve, as you well know, and I well know, <laughs> and uh, the littered marriages all, all over the face of the globe can testify to, marriage is a sacrament where the persons are given to each other for the sole purpose of serving the eternal salvation of the other. And to the extent other factors have predominated like lust or compulsion or economic advantage have figured in the forming of that union the union actually is itself null and void and never uh, was a Christian marriage if its primary motivation was not the salvation of the other party which you know hell will freeze over before that's the norm within the Catholic <laughs> church, no? and so that that or anywhere that or anywhere and so that's a sacrament of service as is the ordained priesthood a priest is not ordained to reign a priest is ordained to serve to wash feet to be a servant of the servants of god all of his priesthood is for the service and building up of others but all of these three sets of sacraments are in their profoundest sense, Steve, a plugging in of the human person and an imbuing human person with certain aspects and dimensions of the divine himself. So in the sacraments, the mysteries, as they were called in the early church, we are incorporated, assimilated, assumed, and ascended into the person of Jesus, now seated at the right hand of the Father, imbued with every divine quality and capacity, even as human creatures, that he enjoyed as God, and reestablished in this world and culture of death, this satanic realm, this realm of the liar and the murderer and the father of lies, the prince of darkness. We are reinserted into this world of darkness as extensions, deified, divinized extensions of the light of the world, who is Jesus himself. So we are candles whose light through the sacramental mysteries has been both ignited and intensified by the uncreated light of the only son of God. And without that vision, without that understanding, without that background, to talk about sacraments as means of grace, uh, really, uh, it becomes unintelligible, really, without, without the vision that I just tried to lay out in my own, own uh, kind of herky-jerky way here. So, <laughs> Well, I, uh, I, I completely agree. Uh, with um, respect to oh, confirmation, then, yeah, confirmation, you know, then is primarily, Steve, an insertion into the relationship of Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And the mission, as we know, of the Holy Spirit is the mission of sanctification and divinization. And so in confirmation, we not only receive the Holy Spirit, 
but we are assimilated into the third person of the Trinity in such a way as we become now instruments of the Spirit's divination in the life of those we meet. Every layperson is meant to be sent into the world confirmed or strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to be himself divinized and deified by keeping himself absolutely available for the power and grace of the Holy Spirit to work in him or her, and then to become an instrument, an emissary, and a efficient cause of the Holy Spirit's deifying summons and sanctification of every person that that confirmed person interacts with. And I can do that quite without words if I am living a deified, Christianized, chrismated life. So I'm really running, as I always do, a lot of uh, um, uh, unctuous metaphors together here. But <laughs> let me take, take, step back here and take a big breath and let you comment and ask a couple of questions. Uh, sure. Yeah, The uh, one of the things that I noticed in, I think it's uh, the book of Revelation. I think it's Revelation 9, 4... 14.1 and 22.4, there's this mention of a, a, the seal of God upon the foreheads. And I obviously very distinctly remember, as any of our listeners will, if they've been confirmed, uh, been chrismated, that they are sealed with the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with holy oil on their foreheads. And I noticed that there's there's something about that. I, I just remember that moment for me, and that, and again, that I go back to that night, and it was such a. I, I was very fortunate because the the parish that I was at, um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, in Grand Rapids, um, it took about three and a half hours to celebrate the Easter Vigil liturgy, <laughs> and uh, the, the, there was. Why the, so short? That I, <laughs> It was it was a blessing because some parishes unfortunately uh, spend a lot less time than that on the the Easter vigil and kind of rush everyone through the sacraments of initiation. But they didn't. They really took their time and uh, it, it was very heavily symbolic um, in the in the in, in incarnational and um, the, the, there's something. Uh, that, that, that really stands out to me about having the name of God sealed on my forehead, um, something that, you know, the, the name, to be marked in the name of someone, um, to, to be sealed, uh, it, it was just, all I can say is that night stands out to me as the most beautiful night of my entire life. And yes. um, I, I'll never forget it. And, and, and my life has been different ever since. I mean, I've far from perfect, but the direction that my life has taken since that night has been drastically different than previous. Yes. Yes, that's a beautiful thing. Of course, you were an adult when you were confirmed or chrismated. You know, I think of, uh, Steve, uh, there's so much we could say about the seal of confirmation. That has a very extremely rich and venerable uh, significance for the early church. Um, and without delving too deeply into that today, I remember, Steve, when I was serving Mass as a 
young boy, and I used to see the host that the priest put on the paten uh, for the um, for the uh, for the consecration for the Eucharist, and I can still remember the beautiful patterns that were pressed into it by a, a seal, you know, a communion seal that would imprint on the host, you know, various designs of the lamb that is slain or IHS, you know, indicating uh, the uh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, uh, or a cross, you know, all various different emblems that could be sealed into the host. But that's a visual image. Another image that the early church often used for the seal was uh, that of hot wax, where, um, you know, the sacrament, the form of the sacrament or the matter of the sacrament is equivalent of the of the wax. And then the seal is the form of the sacrament, the words that come down. I baptize you in the name of the Father. And when those words are pronounced, you know, we believe that there are three sacraments that impart a, a, an unbreakable and unremovable, i.e. indelible, seal on the mind, heart, and real, really being of the person. And those sacraments, of course, are baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. And what does that indicate? Well, you know, there's so much we could say about this, but very briefly, it means that in baptism, when that water is poured, that's the equivalent of your life being covered by the hot wax from on high. And then when those words are said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it's as if the Trinity itself, Steve, brings down a seal, like, uh, you know, like you put in the olden days in England or medieval times, they'd put wax on the back of an envelope, you know? Sure, yeah. And then the big impress of the king's seal would come down upon the, um, upon the hot wax, and it would seal it. And it meant that this letter, you know, you break this seal, you're breaking communion with the uh, one who put it there. You're violating his trust and you've basically excommunicated yourself and set yourself up actually for a death sentence if you broke the seal of the king and it was not given to you to break that seal. Uh, you know, I think in the same book of Revelations, it talks about the one who alone could break the seven seals. You remember that yep. image yep. as well. And of course, that one is Jesus himself. And so, and this is going to sound like pure nonsense to most modern day Catholics, even those who are devout with their faith. But as St. Paul says, and the letter to the Hebrews says, it's a frightful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And similarly with the reception of Holy Communion, if I receive unworthily, I receive, I eat and drink unto my own condemnation. The sacraments, the greatest gifts in the world from God, are also the most terrifying things at the same time for this purpose, for this reason. Mm -hmm. When the seal of God comes down on me, it is absolutely unbreakable and unremovable. It remains on my soul, on my forehead, on my face, on every corpuscle of my body. It marks me as belonging to the triune God. And so should I, unlike Steve Nichols, who through the use of what Maximus the Confessor called my gnomic will, my own free will, as opposed to my natural impulses of being able to uh, go places with free motion, 
my gnomic will, my moral will, my mental and capacity to choose freely. If I choose to belong to the one who has sealed me, there is nothing but eternal joy in my future. I may have to put up with tribulation. God knows we will in this veil of tears. But because I've said, yes, I wish in my gnomic will to belong to the one who has sealed me out of his own free, free election before the foundation of the world, I have nothing but eternal bliss to look forward to. If, however, through my behavior and my free, deliberately chosen choice, decide to discard, offend, or, or, or repudiate, him who I've been sealed with, the seal itself never goes away. And so when I end up in the place with the father of lies, whose lies I have swallowed, I am mocked for all eternity because of the one to whom I belong and the one whom I have repudiated. Better to be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. I vomit you out of my mouth. And so all these seals mark us. There's no greater joy that the evil one gets than when a priest goes to hell because he always bears the mark of one's, one's uh, chosen, God's chosen one to offer the sacred sacrifice and the holy anaphora. And so, um, so it's, a, it's, it's a great thing because it configures us and capacitates us for eternal glory. But if I receive unworthily or dis disown it, I can disown him. He can never disown me, but he will not take me where I refuse to go. So if I choose to go to hell and anybody in hell is, is clearly chooses to go there on their own. And that's made to them abundantly clear when they see the truth face to face about the choices they've made. My baptism, my confirmation, and my priesthood, if I am a priest, uh, a sacramental priest, remember in baptism, I'm also configured to Christ and sealed with his priesthood, because I too was destined to offer sacrifice uh, as a priest of the laity. Hmm. Anyway, uh, anyway, I'm rambling a little bit now, but you see what I'm saying. The seal marks me as it's like a sheep being branded, no matter what flock I'm in. And if I'm in the wrong flock and I belong to the other flock, they may still have me, but they will jeer me. They will scapegoat me. They will laugh at me. They will make me continue to feel like an outsider if I belong to a different tribe than the one, the, whole, the chosen people, the tribe of Judah, the Lion of Judah. If I separate myself and go off with another tribe, that tribe instantly recognizes me as a member of his tribe and the mockery is something that I uh, I shudder to contemplate. Yeah, yeah. Hate definitely. to end on such a down <laughs> note, but you know, uh, when I was confirmed, Steve, and I know we've got to tie this up here pretty quickly, but when I was confirmed, and in those days, um, you know, the leading image of confirmation was that of being a soldier of Christ. And because confirmation is a participation in the Pente Pentecostal outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we do call it confirmation for a purpose because it confirms our original commitment to Christ in baptism. And it also capacitates us for witness in the world. And remember Jesus' last words to his apostles. If they hated you, they will hate me. They will 
persecute you. They will kill you. They will do everything they did to me to you in spades. And given that fact, we need to be fortified by the Holy Spirit in order to be his witnesses unto death. And that's all we can really expect in a culture that is governed by the murderer and the father of lies. And so knowing that, as the early church did, they knew that to be chrismated was to become a soldier-like witness for Christ. And the bishops gave me uh, a not-so-gentle slap on the cheek, uh, sensing, I think, even in those days, that I would end up doing these podcasts and somebody would hear this and want to execute me for being so outspoken on the, uh, on the beauty and the, uh, and the truth of the Catholic faith. But it is the case that um, we do uh, need to have our faces, uh, you know, set towards Jerusalem as Jesus did when he went up to suffer his passion. And given that fact, Steve, the only way we will be able to endure uh, the ostracization and vilification and pillaring and ultimately uh, persecution and possibly even execution of this shrinking minority in the culture of death known as the Catholic Church is to uh, be engrafted literally and physically into the life of the Holy Spirit uh, with the Son such that uh, we can say, uh, as he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. That superhuman courage and that Christian witness is possible in no other way than being confirmed in the faith of Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit, which in some is the uh, sacrament of confirmation. Yeah, yeah, amen. And that, uh, um, I know we're going to have to wrap things up for this week's episode, but that leads me, um, the, the direction you're heading there uh, leads me to think of discernment and um, and how the uh, the developing a life of discernment in the in in Christ in the Holy Spirit um, is is really uh, the key um, uh, right. to to participating properly in the sacraments That's right. and um, uh, or the sacred mysteries as we usually prefer to call them um, That's right. yeah. but uh, so perhaps we can I know we're going to be posting I, I'm going to be posting some talks that you um, are giving on that topic. And um, perhaps um, we can talk a little about that um, and, and how it pertains to our life in Christ, how it, it, it's so foundational uh, on next week's podcast. That would be great. Just as a little tease, I, I would agree with completely, Steve. As I am confirmed in my life in Christ and I give myself over to the Holy Spirit in Jesus, he reveals to me my true self as he has always conceived of me in the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, through the sacrament of confirmation, gives me the gift of discernment. We call it the fourfold gift of knowledge, understanding, counsel, and wisdom. And I begin, Steve, to be able to discover through this gift of confirmation my personal vocation and the true purpose of my life, which becomes ever more clear that it's not the uh, purpose that I may have crafted for myself outside of Christ operating on my own lights before I fully appropriated my own confirmation. So let's do that next time. And thank you for that lead in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds good. Um, 
And uh, let's see, let's go ahead and wrap things up. And just uh, for our listeners out there, we can be found at EncounteringTheTrinity.com. And from there, you can find a link to contact us. We've got our email address listed there and our Twitter feed and Facebook. And again, you can also find a link to us um, on the iTunes store from that the, the website as well. And um, that about does it for today. Father Phil, if you don't mind uh, leading yep. us in a prayer. Let's finish with the prayer that we'll all be saying together throughout eternity, God willing, which is the blessed uh, glory be known in the East as the sacred doxology. Glory be to the, the Father, Father and, and to, to the, the Son, Son and to the, the Holy Spirit, Spirit as, it as it was in, in the, beginning, the beginning, is now, is now and, and ever, ever shall be, world, world without end. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.